Hi, this is Chris Stewart from Oasis Church in Athens, Ohio. Please reach out to us on Facebook or Twitter or send us an email at oasisathens at gmail.com. If there's anything that you need, if you have any questions, we want to continue to serve and minister to the needs of our community. May God bless you today, and we hope you enjoy this message from Oasis Church in Athens, Ohio. Okay, we're going to be in Exodus chapter 20, and we're going to read verse 15 today. That's the, We're going to study verse 15 today. Exodus chapter 20, verse 15. While we're turning there, I want to tell you a, a story. Several years ago, um, my family, it was actually my mom, my brother, myself, and a couple of friends, I think we took a seemed like it wasn't just us. But anyway, we um, we went to a Striper concert. Remember the band Striper? I, I know some of you watch and have to remember. You, go, you guys remember Striper. You don't, I mean, they're still around. They actually came out with a new album. They, they, these guys, they wore yellow and black leather, and, and they were, it's like a, it was like a Christian metal band. And they, they got, you know, back in the 80s, there was rock and roll, and there was, um, there was, uh, there was, a little bit of Christian music, and then Christian rock started to to uh, to come into uh, into the uh, onto the scene. And when these guys, Striper, Michael and Robert Sweet, and Timothy Gaines and Oz Fox got together, Ben, ben walked in. He's like, he's talking about Striper. <laughs> yes, Striper. Um, they were huge, man. They were huge. The Yellow and Black Attack, um, uh, Messiah. Uh, there was a, another tour after that one, and then they came out with this album called "To Hell with the Devil." And that was it was you know it was clever it was catchy you know and it was it was controversial to say that right and um, but they they had this tour and it was huge I mean they they were selling out packing arenas and they we bought tickets I remember we bought tickets and we were so excited about it because I'll tell you I I came from a working class family we weren't poor we weren't rich but I knew that my parents worked hard for everything. And anytime we were able to do anything extra or luxurious, it was because of extra hours, extra jobs, extra cakes, um, extra hairstyling, overtime at the power plant. And so when my family, plus a few friends, got to go to a Striper concert at the Veterans Memorial Auditorium in Columbus, Ohio in 1987, that was a big deal. It was a big deal. And when we got there, we got to purchase the the T-shirt. The red T-shirt that had the Striper logo on it on the back, it had these big flames. And then in the right big letters in the middle of the back, to hell with the devil. Okay, $60, $75 for a, for a shirt. You guys, Kenny Chesney shirts, did you guys buy one when you went there? But how much were they? Oh, 45 Okay, that's not, inflation hasn't happened. I know Dave Matthews was selling his for like $60. And that was whenever April and I went to that, was back in 2004 or five, I think. So anyway, we bought our shirts. Striper comes out after this really crappy band called Hurricane. Striper comes out, and as soon as they hit the stage, we all hit our feet, and we start rocking, right? Well, my brother put his Striper t-shirt on the, on the chair behind him, and after we're rocking for a little bit, Jared turns around to grab his shirt, and it's gone. It's not there. And neither were the dudes that were sitting behind us. <laughs> Afford to buy another one, and we're all sick. 
I couldn't believe we had been violated at a Christian concert, right? You weren't supposed to steal at a striper concert. Didn't these people know the eighth commandment, thou shalt not steal? But that's that's what happened. And when it happens, you feel angry, you feel embarrassed, you feel violated. And that's what we're talking about today. Have you ever been stolen from? Has, any, has anything, you know, you, you uh, maybe wake up in the morning, car and your car's been broken into your doors are wide we've had that happen uh you know stuff people things been go people been going through stuff you immediately have a, a ver- variety of feelings you feel like an instance of what what the heck happened and then you feel anger and then you start looking around for stuff or maybe you come home and your house has been broken into or uh, maybe you realize someone took your identity and all of a sudden you're getting bills for things that you didn't buy. You look at your, your bank account and you're like, what is this charge? What is that charged? You know, and, and you get asking, you ask yourself questions and you got to negotiate all that and explain all that away and things like that. So if you start thinking about it, when you start thinking about all the different ways this happens, stealing is a really prevalent part of our society. It's a really prevalent everyday, much of our lives include measures protect our goods, to protect our stuff and to protect just our, our who we are, our identity, who, you know, it's become so commonplace that we don't even realize how odd it is. I mean, how, how strange it would be, I guess, if, if there were no stealing. I'll give you some examples. I mean, there are a lot of things that, that we could go through here, but like, um, if you think about it, there are things that we do that don't seem strange to us, but the reason we do them is because of breaking the eighth commandment. You have locks on your doors at your house. Do you use them? Probably so. Maybe some of you have a fence around your yard. How about inside that fence? Do you put a dog out there? Do you have a dog, you know, or in the house? What about, you know, do you have a, a big dog in the house? You got a gun? You got a security system? What is all that for? In large part, it could be for protecting yourself from someone coming in to rob you, from to steal from you have locks on the doors. Do you lock your doors or your cars when you stop somewhere at your own house in your own neighborhood? Do you have alarms on your cars? Yeah, some, some people have, you know, new, you know, I guess newer cars have chips on them, right? So if they get stolen, you can find your car. You probably have that. Um, what about your technology on your phones? You use lock codes on your phones, passwords, security codes. When you use the internet and you purchase something, do you make sure that they have the security? Why? Why do we do that? You log onto a website. You use a username and a password. You have passwords for your emails. You have passwords for all of your data, the things that you do, that you do on the internet. Why? It's to keep it from being stolen. That's the whole purpose of it. You go outside, you make you go out somewhere today, this afternoon, maybe you make a purchase with your debit card, you stick that debit card in there, and you've got to t- type in a code, right? You put in the chip, you got to type in your PIN number, you punch in your security code. If somebody else has that code, there's a good chance they're going to steal from you, right? Even when you walk in the front door, what happens when you walk in the front? You walk through these big plastic white things and you walk out, you might see those things. What are those? Those are things, those are security detectors for the people who own the store to make sure that no one's stealing things from the their store. They put these things on the, those plastic things on the, on the tags to make sure that you're not walking out without paying for it. And in some stores, you might see a big security guard standing there as well, uh, trying to intimidate people and making sure that they're not stealing either. The whole point of all of that, I mean, this everyday stuff that we probably have just learned to live with and take for granted, the whole point of all of it is to keep, is to, is because of stealing. It's so prevalent. We don't even realize it. Even in Martin Luther's day, several hundred years Luther said that if they took all the people who were stealing and hung them, they'd run out of rope. And so you'd have to start using men's belts to hang the rest of the thieves. It was such a prevalent problem 
in the 1500s. And in our day of technology, it's only multiplied all the ways that we can steal from one another. That's not the way, believe it or not, that's not the way the world is supposed to be. When God made the world, it was good. It was without sin. And all of the stealing and all the countermeasures that has been put on this world um, that comes from sin. And it just boggles your mind. It boggles my mind, at least, to hear people. There are actually people who still say, well, human beings are basically good in their hearts. All human. No, they're not. They're, they're not. We, we know that they're not because the Bible tells us that. But if you don't believe that, then go without your door being locked and see, what, see, how, see how long it takes for, for some good human being to come and take your stuff. People are not basically good in their heart. People are sinners. We all have self-interest in our hearts that compel us to do things that we shouldn't do. Some people are able to control that more than others, and, and believe me, that is the grace of God in your life, and you need to recognize that. But the reality is we're all depraved human beings. Here's another question. So I asked, have you been stolen from, right? Another question, what have you stolen? Are the, you know, we, we tend to have this real sense, I think, of justice when we've been stolen from, right? That we sometimes conveniently overlook or diminish the idea that maybe we have stolen from others or we have stolen from our employer or we have stolen from, from, from you know, any number of things. So the question is, what have you, what have you stolen? I want to throw up a, a quick definition, I think. You know, I think we should define what the word stealing and robbing um, actually means. Uh, you know, the biblical definition is really no different than the Webster's definition or the, de- the actual definition in any language that you might speak. So here's a definition of stealing. Because I know we can talk about, we can, we can go through all this, we can argue over semantics and worldviews and things like that. Like, well, Chris, what is stealing really? Like if someone's rich, does that count? Like Robin Hood, right? Can you steal, you know, Robin Hood stole from the rich to give to the poor. Well, I say read your Bible, not Robin Hood, okay? Here's stealing defined. Stealing is taking something that does not belong to you without permission, especially in secret or by force. Very simple. Here's the big idea. It's not yours. And if you take it, you've stolen. That's the idea. That's it. It's not theirs. It's yours. And, you know, and, and, and if you take what's theirs and you make it yours, you're stealing, right? It's not theirs. And so what happens is, you know, that's, that's, that's the very basic definition. And there's not really much more elaboration of that. We don't need much more elaboration. I think we can all understand that. So what God has to say about stealing is very simple. We're in the 10 commandments and you look at Exodus chapter 20, verse 15. And so far we have, this is, this is, this one and do not murder from two weeks ago are the two shortest, briefest commands because probably they're the really they're easy to understand. He says, "Thou shall steal. You shall not steal. Do not steal." Whatever your translation says. This is not like a legal contract where we see a lot of footnotes and details. In fact, there's not a lot of footnotes in my Bible underneath that particular verse. There's not a lot of other, you know, well, do not steal unless, of course, they're rich. Or do not steal unless, of course, you know, they've got two and they really only need one. Then you could, it's okay to take the other one from them. Do not steal unless, of course, you've got a good reason, 
right? They're just, there are no footnotes here. There are no caveats here. There are no exceptions here. Just don't steal. <laughs> and we do it. We do this. We, and we do it a lot. We, we, we do. I, I think we don't realize it sometimes. A couple points I, I, I want to make on this. And I don't want to overcomplicate it. There's no reason to overcomplicate it. But I think we need to understand that something that the Bible is teaching us when it says don't steal. And as you look at the whole teaching of the Bible and the way the story of God and his people unfolds and the way the story of God unfolds in the New Testament, I think we can see easily, first of all, that the Bible teaches and the Bible believes in private property rights and ownership, that you can own things that belong to you. Some people like to read the Bible almost like, uh, I don't know, it'd be like a, like a hippie with hippie lenses or, you know, a socialistic communistic lenses saying, oh, well, in the Bible, they shared everything. So we shouldn't really, we shouldn't claim anything as our own. We, if somebody wants it, we should, we, you know, nobody really actually had anything of their own. No, that's not actually true. That's not how the Bible reads. The Bible, the Bible says it belongs to them, not you. And if you take it, you're stealing. That's, there's a reason why God said, do not steal. This is, this is private property ownership, okay? The Bible teaches that it, that it is okay to have private property and to have ownership, that everything belongs to God. The Bible does say it shows the whole, uh, the whole concept of, of God and, and his people. And the Bible is that everything belongs to God. God distributes things among his people and whatever he's given to you is yours and they can't take it. And whatever he's given to them is theirs and you can't take it. And, and, and it's, it's easy to see that throughout the scripture. It, this assumes private property ownership and rights to those who have ownership of this private property. Now, having said that, Number two, God doesn't just love you. God loves, he does love you. He totally loves you. But God also loves your neighbor. And, and what has tended to trend in Christian teaching, in, in many circles of Christian teaching, is, is this emphasis on, on you and not them. You know, God loves you. God wants to bless you. God wants to help you. God wants to serve you. God, God wants to give to you. And there's not a lot of talk today about, about your neighbor. God wants to, he wants you to love them. God wants you to serve them. God wants you to help them. God, God wants to bless them through you. That's how God works. And so what happens to us is when we lean too much on, on the other side of it, the side that I just explained, is our faith can become very selfish and we think of it as all mine and it's all about me and not about them. But Jesus comes to say, well, what about your neighbor? And so what happens is the commandments that we're in now, commandments five through 10 are about loving your neighbor. He begins with saying, hey, it's important that we understand the, 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 the proper view that we should have of God. There is one God, we worship him alone. But then how does that live itself out? And how do we love our neighbor? And loving your neighbor is, is you can't, it's impossible to love your neighbor if you're stealing from your neighbor. If it belongs to you, take it. It might bless you. It might benefit you. It might enrich you in some way. You might think, oh, that's good for me. But that's not loving your neighbor. It's hurting them. It's harming them. It's taking that God believes in private property ownership, and God believes not just in doing what's best for you, but also what's good for your neighbor, and God wants you to love your neighbor. So then number three is this issue of rights and responsibility. One of those rights that we have, 
that the Bible is presenting here in this command, and the Bible presents in as it as it unfolds how to respond when you have stolen something or when something has been stolen from you, is is you have the right. It shows us that we have the right to not be stolen from. You know, it's 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 fine to make laws on upon you know we create laws upon God's good laws. Um, that there shouldn't be stealing and, and stealing should be met with some consequences and punishment. But we also have to understand that in addition to our rights, which we tend to be really familiar with, I don't think I have to spend a lot of time talking about understanding your rights because people have focused so much on their rights these days. But we also have seen, we've tended to forgotten the other part about rights. With rights also comes responsibilities. And we tend to be a lot less familiar with this issue of responsibility. We know a lot about rights but we, we tend to have forgotten that these two things go hand in hand, rights and responsibilities. If you go to the average person and you ask them, should anyone ever steal from you? They'd say, no, no one should ever steal from me ever. That's my right. And we all understand that, right? But then you say, do you know that you have a responsibility to never steal from anyone either? Well, you know, there might be some circumstances, though, where like my life is harder and I, you know, I, I might need something and, I, and, and if, the, if the time comes, I, it might have to happen. Well, we're, we're good about talking about our rights, but when we talk about rights, we also have to include our responsibility. And that's the part that people always tend to leave out. With rights come responsibility. So we should say it like this. Yes, I have a right to not be stolen from and I have a responsibility to not steal from others. And what starts to undermine an entire culture of people is when people are far more committed to their rights than their responsibilities and getting what they think they should get rather than giving God, give, rather than giving what God wants them to give. When we focus more attention on our rights, it is, we, are, we are doomed as a people. We must focus on our responsibilities of what can we give. And that's, that's the other side of this. Okay, yeah, you have a right. You have a personal right to property ownership. But you know what? It did show in the book of Acts that even though people did own things, they were okay recognizing that they're stewards of the stuff. God has given it to them, and they were okay with sharing it. Don't mistake that for thinking you have a right to take it. That's different. So how do, how do we steal? What are, what are some ways that, that, that we steal? I, I wanted to like, make this really practical, and so I thought I'd like, just list a, list a bunch of different ways that, that stealing takes place in today's culture, in today's world. Um, it's not an exhaustive list by any means, but just let me, I'll throw some of these things out and, and so we can kind of get a feel for how deep the problem is and how it's an everyday problem. It's really broad. And so, and I think it's, 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 it's maybe why the way God wants us to see this this morning. So things that would constitute stealing, okay? Embezzling, um, un- unreasonably high interest rates. That's a way that we get stolen from. Um, rigged gambling. Break-ins, obviously. People breaking in, just taking stuff. Unjust taxation is a way that, that, that stealing takes place. Burglary, larceny, hijacking, shoplifting, extortion, underpaying your taxes, filling out false claims, governmental waste, excessive national debt, um, falsely billing clients or, or falsely bill, billing an employer and, and getting more money than you should from it, misappropriating company funds, um, killing time at work. Time, time is a way that we steal. I'll talk about that here in a minute. Um, they should be paid. Taking supplies from work, taking intellectual property, plagiarism, uh, illegal downloads, identity theft. I could go, again, the list can go on and on and on and on, but that's a lot of things already, right? 
And, and especially logical age, technology has opened up countless new opportunities for breaking the eighth commandment, for, for thievery. It says, you should not steal. And this is simply what he says. You should not steal. And we steal all the time. It just, it's just, it's a way of life. It's hard to even envision, to even envision what our economy would look like if the majority of people just simply obeyed the eighth commandment. This commandment is broken so prevalently that we have no idea. We would be shocked of what life would look like if people just obeyed this commandment. So what I want to do right now is I want to take the eighth commandment, which God clearly gives here in, in Exodus chapter 20, and it echoes throughout the remainder of all of Scripture. And I want to look at it in a really practical, everyday context so that we can make this feel, feel, feel real to us um, because there's a good chance that those of you who are watching and participating in our church service today are not active stealers. Like you're not active, you're not thieves, you don't rob people and things like that. And so you might have thought, well, this will not be a short sermon. It's not going to be that relevant to me. But maybe there's a way that, that, that we've gotten a little too comfortable um, and we don't think about it in this way, but this is still a problem. And in and, and the context I'd like to talk about this is in the context of work and being an employee. This particular hits home very directly in a work-employer relationship. The Bible has a lot to say to employees, and it also has a lot to say to employers. I, I thought about going that route two points, but I, I don't have enough. I don't have a, enough time to do that. I want to just focus on this one because most of us watching are probably employees, even though we also may oversee people, um, and, we, and we probably in business. And, and all you are is an employer, um, and and if so, it, it's, this is still relevant to you. But but I'm just going to go with it in this direction. Titus two talks about it. Talk, it says something directly to employees, and it, and it is speaking. I think we can relate this to us as employees today, even though he begins it by saying, "Bonds." This is Titus two verses nine and ten. Bond servants are to be submissive to their own masters and everything. So a bond servant is kind of hard. To, it's messy because it's different in that culture. They actually were kind of like an employee in our culture. It's not identical, but it's equivalent. I'll say it that way. The closest we can get to what's being talked about here is employers and employees those in authority and those under authority. He says they are to be well-pleasing. So an employee is to be well-pleasing. They're to have a good attitude and do a good job. Not argumentative. Don't fight all the time. Don't be the source of trouble and conflict and dissension at your place of employment. Not pilfering, Paul says. Not pilfering. There's the eighth commandment. No stealing. And then he says, but showing all good faith so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God, our Savior. So here's the big idea. Paul is saying, and he's right, Paul's the one who writes the, the book of Titus. He's saying, your work is your witness. Your work is your way of expressing the gospel of Christ, sharing the gospel of Christ when you're there. See, some people say they don't know how to be a good witness at work, and they, they really fret about that. They want to be they they want you know they want to to you know to share the gospel at work. Well, like how do I do that? Well, here's the, here's how you do it. You start by doing good work, doing a good job, having a good attitude, performing well, submitting to your employer, respecting the authority that's over you, following through with the things that they delegate to you to do. That's where it begins. That's how you're a good witness. Some people get really hung up on being a good witness for Christ at work. 
And, and you, know, do you know, do you share the gospel at work, right? Do you, you know, the work is your mission field. Yes, and I believe that. And what is the, one of the best ways that you can witness at work? Do really good work. Be a really good employee. That's the best thing you could do. That is the best thing you could do to be a witness for Christ. Here's the idea. Actually, Tim, Paul says in Timothy, always be ready. Or does Peter say this? It's Timothy, isn't it? Be ready for, the, for, for an answer to those who ask you for the hope that you possess, right? Why? Why, why, do you, why are you always so joyful while you're working, right? What's going, why do you always do such, a, such a, an extra good job? There it is. Here's the reason. Because I love the Lord, and I love you, and he sent me here, and my work is my witness, that's how it is. That's, that's, what, that's what Paul says in Titus 2 when he says, so that in everything, what happens then as a result is that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God, our Savior. When they hear, when they, when they, when they hear that, when they, when they know, when they see you and your work, they see that Jesus is great. And they see that Jesus' people have a good work ethic and they're honest and they have integrity and they do a job very well. And that makes Christianity more attractive. Sometimes I think Christian people get things confused in this area. They assume that they're getting persecuted at work because of their faith. And you know what? Often the times that's not the case. You're just getting persecuted at work because of your lack of, because, not because of your faith, but because of your, your poor work ethic, your lack of work ethic faith as an excuse to not do a good job. Let me ask you a question. True or false? When Jesus was growing up, did he have a job? Yeah, we know he did. He had, good, he had a good job. He, he was a carpenter's son. So you know that he did carpentry with his dad. So true or false? Do you think Jesus was a good employee? Do you think, he, do you think Jesus just sat there all day reading the scroll of Isaiah, right? And his dad says, hey, you got to finish that chair, Father. Don't you know I got to be about, you know, I, I got I to be doing this. I can't, I can't swing a hammer right now. You know, that, or do you think he picked up a hammer and actually built the stuff that he was supposed to build? I think that's, I, we don't know. I mean, we don't, we don't have it written, but I think it's pretty safe to assume that that's the, based on his integrity and based on the whole of his teaching, that that's what Jesus desire to be a good employee. So that being said, how big of a problem do you think employee theft is? <laughs> like I said, right? You go through the front door, there's a security camera there, right? Security guard. What about the back door? Are employees going out the back? What were they taking out the back? I, there was, a, there was a, a U.S. News and World Report did a study. I don't think they didn't do the study. Somebody else, it was a consultant group did the study, but they, they reported on it that the average employee steals 5.5, so five and a half times more than the average shoplifter. So some of you, you know, watching this, you might be an employer, right? And you know this is true, right? Furniture goes missing. Office supplies, the biggest one. Office supplies go missing. Computer, computer supplies, right? Dongle, a dongle here, a cable there, right? Or stock on the shelves. If you're retail, stock goes missing. All of a sudden, you pull it up on the computer, you're like, I know it's here, right? It's 
No, it's not on the shelf. Where is it? And my employees are taking it. <laughs> it's not in the stock room either, right? Somebody took it. Well, people who work, who are taking it, it's the people who work for me. And people, you know that. It's, a, it's such a massive problem that people build it into their business. It's almost impossible to calculate the total loss. But the estimate, the, the estimates are for when you when you when you total all of these up together, the estimates are somewhere around $200 billion a year of employee theft is taking place through stock or supplies, office supplies or stock. And if you go to the house of anybody in this world right now, how many things in there would actually be stuff that should be at your work? You know, that, that happens. I mean, it just happens and we don't think about it. In addition to stealing items, employees are oftentimes even more guilty of stealing time. And I know some people are like, well, you can't relate that. Well, yeah, you absolutely can. You ever wasted time, right? According to a report on salary.com, the average employee, the average employee wastes a little over two hours a day. So there's normal work days, an eight-hour work day. Let's say you get an hour lunch, all right? So it's two, like 2.09 hours wasted, so a little more than two hours. Well, some people look at that and like, what's the big deal? That doesn't bother me, right? It's not that big of a deal. You know, I, I, need, I need a break sometimes, right? Well, if there are breaks built in, that's great, but not stealing time, okay? Here's an example. Let's say you drive through McCaffey's Donuts this morning and you say, hey, I want eight donuts and they charge you for eight donuts. You drive away, you get home, you open the box and you're like, well, there's only five donuts in here. So you go back to the lady at McCaffey's Bakery and you say, hey, where's my other three donuts? And, and she responds to you by saying, well, I'm just treating you the way that you treat your employer. You get to pay for eight donuts to be stolen from. But we don't mind stealing. We actually don't stop to think that it's that big of a deal. We don't think of time as stealing. But if we're getting paid for our time, then wasting our time is stealing from our employer. One of the worst things you could ever do while you're at work is to open Facebook. Uh-oh. I may have, may, have, may have caused a little some rumbles there, right? But here's the reason why it happens. And this is why it happens. Because we are a people who care more about our rights than we care about our responsibilities. We are a people who, we've become a people who care more about our rights than we care or focus on our responsibility. So what do we need to do then? If this has happened with you, I'm getting to the, you know, so we're over the, we're over the hump. I'm stop. I'm, I'm done yelling at you now. All right. Let's, 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 let's think about how we can make this right. What, 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 what can we, you know, if you're hearing this and you're realizing, you know what, I actually, I probably have stolen some things. I've stolen from someone or from my employer. Or I, maybe you've stolen from the Lord. I mean, God talks about that as well. If you're a Christian, God says in Malachi, he actually uses the word robbing or stealing in Malachi chapter three, verse eight, God talks about how as Christians, God, as, you know, as believers, his people, he desires for his people to return to him a portion that he has blessed us with. And in Malachi, he calls this robbing when we don't do it. He says in Malachi 3.8, will a man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? People were like, well, how have we robbed? How can we rob God? And God says, well, in your tithes and contributions, you have stolen from me. And see, sometimes we actually steal from God. We don't recognize that everything that we have been blessed with is his already. And when we fail to contribute back to his kingdom, God says, well, you're actually robbing me when you, when you do that. So, so what do you do now then? Okay, the question is, what do I do? 
If, if this is me, is there any restitution? Well, yeah, Exodus actually shows us that. So Exodus 20, verse 15, is where the eighth commandment is. And just a couple chapters over, what you find is, is an example of what you do if you've broken the eighth commandment, okay? So if you lived in Old Testament times, this is what would happen. It says this in Exodus 22, verse 1. I'll just read it. It says, if a man steals an ox or a sheep, all right? So bring it to 2020. A, a car, a laptop, a cell phone, a jacket from a store or something, okay? And he kills it. <laughs> so let's say you steal it and then you sell it. So you profit from it, all right? Or you keep it. You try to make it your own personal property. Here's what he says. He shall repay five oxen for an ox. Four sheep for a sheep. So what's going on here? It's a pretty big deterrent to stealing, right? I mean, imagine right now, let's say you stole a dollar. If you stole a dollar, you'd owe five. That's, that's what he's saying. You stole a car, you'd owe four cars back. We're like, well, I don't have four cars. I mean, you got to give that one car back plus four others. You're like, I don't have four cars. Well, what would I do? Well, you, got, you, you can't go steal four more and give them back. You got to figure it out, right? So here's the idea. It's a pretty major deterrent to stealing. And, 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 I, and I know what happens here. It's like, well, you know, God's, God's a forgiving God, right? And, and some of us are like, well, God forgives all my sins. Well, that's true. God does forgive your sins, but your neighbor still needs their stuff back, right? I mean, it's a, ter it's a pretty terrible witness when you steal something from your neighbor and then you go knock on their door and you're like, hey, God has really convicted me of my sin and I'm really sorry that I stole that. I'm, I'm glad that's off my chest. <laughs> neighbor would be like, Okay, well, where's my stuff, right? I still need my stuff back. So if you've stolen from someone, you gotta make every effort to repay it. You gotta make restitution. So, you know, what if a person chooses to forgive my debt? Okay, because that sometimes that happens too, right? Well, you know, you know, I tell you what, I forgive you, you're absolved from the debt, you know. Wouldn't that be great, right? But here's the thing. They don't have to do that. They don't have to. In fact, they might be in a position where what you took was something they really need. And so restitution has to be made. So I guess the two questions we need to ask ourselves then today in application of, you know, so here's, there's the question you should ask yourself. What have I stolen? What, or what, what do I need to repay? Who do I need to repay? And what do I need to repay? Who do I need to repay? And what do I need to repay? And some people might be like, you know, there's a lot. It's going to be expensive. And you might actually have to downsize your own lifestyle because maybe your whole life has, has been built around theft. And maybe you haven't even stopped to realize it. I mean, imagine. I mean, imagine like if, if instead of people getting more credit cards, right, the world would be in a different place if that, if that happened. God knows what he's talking about when he just simply says, you, should, you, should, you do, not, do not steal. I mean, the problem isn't just out there, guys. It's, it's, it's everywhere. And so here's, here's three things that I want to say in closing, all right? There are different ways that you can look at your wealth. And what I mean by your wealth is the stuff that you have, the money you make and the stuff that you have that, that you consider yours. There are three ways that we can look at it. And the first way is this. What's mine is mine. And with clenched fists, we say, I'm going to keep it. This is mine. Don't talk about it. Don't ask for it. Don't expect me to share it or, or be a, a steward of it, all right? 
this is mine, I worked hard for it, I inherited this, it's private property, and and that part of the sermon, Chris, a few minutes ago when you talked about private property, I was amening, that's that's my favorite part of the sermon. This, this is mine and, and what's mine is mine and no one can pry it out of my hands. Another view that people have, which is sort of the opposite, is, well, what's yours is mine and I'll steal it. What's yours is mine and if you have more than me, then it's then I have a right to take it because I, I it's, we, there should be total equality and everything and I should steal it. And so we, 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 we feel like we're owed more than what we have. So we sh- how do we get it? We take it from someone else. But there's a third option. And I would say that this is, this is the Bible option. This is the biblical option. This is what the, God's word teaches. And that is, what's mine is his, and I'll be a steward of it. He has allowed me to be a steward of it. This idea, this concept of stewardship is, is huge. It is, the, it is a big theme in your Bible. In fact, when, you know, like for example, when it comes to 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1, where Paul described they've been entrusted you know, with, that God has given them, their personal stuff, their wealth, their time, everything. So stewardship is a, is a huge thing. And the reason why is because it's otherworldly. Nobody else thinks like this. It's a countercultural way of seeing wealth and seeing property. And it's, and, it's, and it's something that God reveals to you. God of the Bible reveals to you how to live in this way. And then what I'm saying is that we live in a way that everything we see, we, see, we know and recognize that everything belongs to the Lord. Everything comes from the Lord. Everything will return to the Lord. Everything is the Lord's. And so whatever we have, God has entrusted to us as stewards. And we even call it our property, just like managers of it. And he owns it. I mean, imagine, I guess it's kind of like this. Imagine someone in your family died and they left a large estate and they made you the executor of that estate, that, that, that will. And in that will, it says that you got certain things and other people in your family were to receive certain things and certain portions of the inheritance. And as the executor of the will, it was your job to follow the instructions of the owner to distribute that estate. That's what, that's what this, this means to think that what's mine is God. Stewardship is like that. It all belongs to the Lord. It comes to me. I'm the executor and I get to spend some on my own, on myself, my own family, my expenses, but the rest, the rest, you know, there needs to be a way of thinking that, okay, what God has given me also is something that I can use to bless others and to bless the work of the Lord. Some of it needs to go out from me. And so it's open hands, not clenched fists. That's biblical thinking. Around this issue of stealing and stewardship, that's, that's biblical thinking. Maybe this morning, some of you have realized that you're a thief and, and you're in great debt. But here's the thing that I want to say. It's worse than you think. Because not only have you accrued financial debt to God and to others, the Bible says that there's an entirely different category of debt that we've accrued through stealing and that is sin. 
In, in the Bible, sin is like is stealing. It's actually taught that sin is a violation of this commandment, the eighth commandment, because it talks about in order for us to be free from sin and forgiven of sin, a debt had to be paid, and that was paid by Jesus. See, God made us to love. When we sin, we don't love. So what's happening is we're stealing. God made us to serve. When we don't serve, we're stealing. God made us to share and to, to steward our resources, and when we don't do that, we're stealing. We're stealing the time God gave us. We're stealing the breath, the days, the hours, the weeks, the months, the years, the dollars, the relationships, the words, the family, the opportunities, all the things that God gives you. He wants He wants to, you to use those things to bless others. And when we don't, we're stealing from Him. Every single time when we fail to invest our lives in, in, in the things of God, we are stealing from Him. And so the Bible explains it in this way in Colossians 2, verses 13 and 14. It says, and you were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh. So it says you didn't, there was a time when you didn't even care about God. You were dead. You didn't care about any of these things that we're talking about today. It didn't even cross. But then it says, God made us alive. God made alive together with him. God saves people. God saves some of you. How? Having forgiven us all of our trespasses by canceling the record of what? does it say? Look up Colossians 2, 2, verses 13 and 14 today. By canceling the record of debt, debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, Paul says, nailing it to the cross. And this is the gospel. This is the gospel. God made you, you belong to him, you're to be a steward, your life is to be lived according to his principles. Every sin is a breaking of the commandments and the covenant that God made with you. And so what happens is you accrue a debt, you owe God for your sin, you owe him, and that's why you're going to hell, and that's where you pay that, that debt. That's the debtor's prison. Well, some of us at that moment say, well, I need to pay God back. I, I want to pay God back. But the problem is it's too late. You never will. Even if you never sin for the rest of your life, you're failing to add to that debt. You're failing. You, you don't negate your pre-existing debt. It's too late. The whole world's upside down in debt, indebted to God. Repay it. We're destined for hell because of the wage of sin is death. And you need to feel that. You need to feel that in this commandment. But he's got good news. God became a man, and his name is Jesus Christ. So the God that we owe the debt to came to pay our debt, and he lived with no sin, no sin whatsoever. And in order to do, and, and, and the reason for that is so that he could pay the debt, which was perfection. He went to the cross so that we don't have to spend forever and eternity in hell. And that's the good and it says when Jesus died, his, the debt was paid. In fact, the words that he used, it is finished, tetelestai on the cross, literally means paid in full. So here's the good news. You don't pay God back. Jesus pays God back. God says, I picked up your debt. I paid your debt in Christ. And Jesus was crucified between two what? Ironically enough. Two thieves. Two people violated the eighth commandment. 
and one of them didn't turn to Jesus, one of them didn't ask for for forgiveness from Jesus, he didn't become a Christian, and he died and went to hell to pay for his debt forever. He had to pay his debt. The other one looked at Jesus and he said, Jesus, you never did anything wrong. You're God, I see that now. I'm a sinner, please forgive me. And Jesus said to him, I tell you the truth, today you will be with me in paradise. So not only does Jesus pay our debt, he gives us an inheritance. So that man's inheritance began in paradise in the eternity of a blessing in the presence of God. And it's amazing to me that we steal from God all of our lives, that he would choose to pay our debt and then adopt us as children and then write us into his will and then give us an inheritance that we don't deserve. That is the loving and gracious God that we serve. And that is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then Jesus begins praying, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Forgive them. How can he pray that? How can he do that? Because he was paying their debt. And then he died, and then he rose, and he paid our debt. He conquered sin and death. And so the question today is not, are you a thief? That's the wrong question. The question is, are you the thief who didn't turn to Jesus or are you the thief that turns to Jesus? Are you the thief who has to pay your own debt or are you the thief who has accepted the payment that Jesus made of your debt on the cross? Let's pray. God, we recognize this morning that this problem might be bigger than we even realized the problem of stealing. Maybe when we first heard about the fact that today's message was going to be on you shall not steal, maybe a lot of us felt like we were in the clear there and this would be an easy one to listen to. But maybe it hasn't been easy. And I pray that if that's the case, if there's anyone who knows I've got restitution to pay, I pray that you would help them to know how to do that today. And God, I pray for those that that have not been good stewards, that that you would help us, that you would teach us how to be good stewards. Um, Jesus, we are so grateful that the debt that we could never pay, you have paid, that you have paid our debt, that when it comes to our sin, when it comes to our soul, our salvation, that debt is paid in full. And Jesus, that is amazing. And so right now, we, we celebrate that fact. We celebrate the fact that our spiritual debts have been paid. And, and that is such an awesome thing to sing about. It's such an awesome thing to celebrate. And so I pray that today, as we, as we conclude our time together in this online church service, that we, would, that we would go out from here in a celebratory mode, recognizing that We don't have to pay that debt back, the debt of our sin, that there can be joy because it's been paid by Christ. And so we sing now with joy and we give you one last time together our voices, our hearts, and these words in Jesus' name, amen.